Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I am your host, Paul J. Long, and I am excited, as always, to be with you today. Thank you very much for giving us the opportunity and tuning in to learn more about the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. We are brought to you, as always, by our sponsor, Charlie Hustle. Learn more at charliehustle.com. They're doing amazing things, not just in the Kansas City community, but I am certain that if you're in the Midwest, you could find something on the Charlie Hustle website that speaks to your love and emotions. Speaking of love and emotions, our guest today has been an advocate of Kansas City, an advocate of uh, women's empowerment, somebody that I find truly interesting and can't wait to learn more about. She is the master of grit, grace, and getting things done. She is Miss Joni Wickham. How are you today, Joni? What's good? Hi. I, what, what is good? Hmm. <laughs> What's good is my whole family is healthy and happy and under one roof. Um, and, you know, we are just uh, trying to make the best out of the situation that we're all dealing with now. And so that's pretty good. Yes, absolutely. Likewise, we are in the same boat. Of course, you're referencing quarantine life. Here we are. Some businesses are starting to open up this week, of course, but we are as a family unit all under one roof, healthy and happy, just as you stated. So, Joni, as we get into this thing, the first question that we ask every single guest is, what do you do for fun, ma'am? So let's see. Um, These days, life is um, a little more slow than what I'm used to. Um, I just um, finished writing my first book. And so now that I actually have more time on my hands, I'm not writing a book, I'm going to read some of the books that I've been wanting to read for, I don't know, eight, nine years. Yeah, Uh, yeah, so I'm going to do that. And then also, I have two dogs that uh, my whole family just loves. And we have been going on many, 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 many walks to get out of the house and to have some sanity and to stay active. So that's another thing that I do for fun. I love it. I love that uh, that those things are so readily accessible in your mind because believe it or not, I ask a lot of people that question. A lot of folks struggle coming up with one, two. You came up with three or four right off the bat. So kudos to you. Um, speaking of reading uh, in the book, I really want to get into this because if the title doesn't captivate you, I don't know what will in life. Um, what's uh, one or two of the books on your to-do list or to-read list that you're really excited about? So there's a book that uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote, um, and it's all about leadership. Um, and she looks at different presidents um, through time and how they led differently. So um, you probably won't be surprised knowing my background that that's one of them that I really want to read. Um, and then um, there's a book that um, Philadelphia, former Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter wrote, um, and it's called Mayor. Um, again, probably not too surprising. Uh, <laughs> man, this is showing me how predictable I am. <laughs> so I want to read that book too. Awesome. Well, uh, so you've kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit. I know you're a dog person, so forgive me. Uh, but nevertheless, you have spent a lot of your career in politics. Uh, we may have crossed paths multiple times before, which we'll talk about here in a brief moment. But you did just wrap up uh, your first book. I went to your website and saw that pre-orders are now available. What is the title of said book? Because it is amazing. Thank you. The title is The Thin Line Between Cupcake and Bitch. Something <laughs> I know a little bit about, just a little. <laughs> it's been really fun to finish write, writing that book with that title 
while I've been quarantined with my family for seven weeks. Yes. My husband will probably tell you which side of the line I've been on more often. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully uh, everybody celebrated you uh, as, as in all of your deserving fashion on Mother's Day yesterday. Um, but ultimately, uh, this, this book concept, how did it come about? What does a thin line between Cupcake and Bitch even mean? So this is a book that I have wanted to write for a long time. Um, I started out working in politics when I was 19 years old in North Carolina. And um, being a young woman, petite with a Southern accent, um, I have experienced some things um, that I really wanted to write about to help other women um, prepare and think through how they would deal with those situations. And also, I wanted to make sure I wrote a book um, that certainly wasn't offensive to men, but made them think about how they can play a role um, in dismantling gender bias as well. So the book uh, tells a little bit about my personal journey um, and then goes into some leadership lessons that both men and women can use. Yes. So I I am fascinated, first of all, by the the topic of leadership, but obviously uh, to extend that point, to learn a different perspective and uh, to really feed or identify the ignorance that I uh, or other men have, because um, it's kind of like, you know, being a white male. Uh, you know, there is a lot of privileges that we take for granted. Um, and until you place yourself in somebody else's shoes or hear other individual stories, you don't really understand how great you have it. So you're 19 years old, uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. You are, uh, you found your way into the political, political landscape and you write your first speech from what I understand. Uh, and, and trial by fire because it was for a U.S. senator, right? Is this accurate statement? Accurate statement, yeah. So to walk us through this experience. Yeah, so um, here I am, like you said, 19 years old, didn't have any political connections. Um, I come from a very modest background, um, grew up in a trailer in the middle of a tobacco field, um, and, and found my way to really being interested in politics, policy, um, and government. And um, so I wrote this speech um, for um, a certain former um uh, North Carolina senator who may or may not have had a four hundred dollar haircut, <laughs> <laughs> but it looked it looked amazing though. It looked so good. It looked so good. <laughs> um, and so I wrote this um, speech, and I had never done anything like that before. Um, wasn't really sure if it hit the right notes or not. Um, I definitely was experiencing imposter syndrome, which is something that I write about in the book, thinking that I didn't belong there. I didn't know enough to have this job. Um, and the senator called me in his office one day and I thought, oh, good Lord, I'm going to get fired. This thing was terrible. And he ended up telling me it was actually really good. And we had this interesting conversation where he said that because of who I am, um, a young woman, petite with a Southern accent in a very male-dominated field at that point, and still is, um, that I would often find myself underestimated. And so I had two choices. I could let it make me bitter and mad at the world, or I could figure out how to use it to my advantage. That was the best piece of advice anyone could have given me, I think, at 19 years old. It was really accurate. That's definitely been a dynamic that I've dealt with. Um, and I just decided that um, being mad at the world and being bitter, it, it just takes too much energy. And it uh-huh. does a weird thing to your face. It makes you <laughs> grateful. I'm like, who wants that, right? Um, so I have just tried really hard um, 
to, to figure out a way to use being um, underestimated uh, to my advantage. Where did you where did you get that mindset? Because you know that's exactly what we at Fundamism are trying to solve for is understanding that that bad crap happens to everybody, right? And if you're looking for it and you're anticipating it, then you're going to find it always. And so realizing that bad stuff happens to everybody, how did you or how have you in your life identified that you want to be that person that gravitates more towards the things that lift you up? Um, You know, like I said, I just found that being mad and sad and disgruntled, it just takes too much energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would much rather be around positive, future thinking, solution oriented people yeah. than um, people who are negative all the time. Um, I was very lucky that um, my grandparents um, were very influential in helping to raise me um, and just had a really good work ethic and attitude towards life in general. And I think seeing that modeled in front of me certainly helped. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't like being surrounded by people who are negative and I don't want other people, um, to interact with me and feel that I'm like that. For sure. Well, I don't know a single soul that has met you or interacted with you that would ever say that. And, uh, in parallel to that, I would also say that you do very much so based on who I know, uh, run with folks that have a similar mindset and focus more on what they can control as opposed to what they can't. So, I'd love to to hear more about imposter syndrome as we as we progress through this. But talk to us a little bit about um, your your identity in politics and specifically what drew you to that realm because that's such a polarizing space right now that I don't hear a lot of people saying I want to get into that right now. How did you get there? What drew your interest? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. Growing up um, very poor, my grandparents never really learned to read and write. Um, We definitely navigated um, uh, poverty, um, undereducation. I saw a lot of racism in the community that I grew up in. And for whatever reason, I I really was able to see how um, government, elected officials, and public policy could um, either positively or negatively impact people like my family. Um, And I'll tell you, growing up um, the way that I did, we didn't have um, a whole lot of money to like do um, ballet classes and go to movies and things like that. So I read a lot to my grandparents because that wasn't a skill that they had at the time. Um, And we did a lot of just like watching um, the news in the evenings and, and playing Uno. And so being surrounded, I don't, I love it. <laughs> and go fish. That was another. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so having that experience where that was kind of all I had to do, um, I watched a lot of the news. Um, I had such a crush on David Brinkley, if you remember that guy. <laughs> he was one of my first old men crushes. Um, and uh, just being surrounded by um, people who, um, had not so great interactions with government institutions and and processes really made me want to make a difference. Um, I wanted to be a part of a uh, decision-making process and at the decision-making table um, to figure out how I could play a part in making sure that government and public policy actually worked for people instead of hurting them. Yes. Well, uh, I'm sure that this will speak directly to your heart based on what I know you stand for. We had a 
former Kansas City mayor and first female mayor ever of Kansas City, Mayor Kay Barnes. And we were talking about the political landscape and, and structure. And, and for folks like me that, uh, Joni, just complete, complete honest uh, perspective here, I'm so ignorant in the political landscape and I try to educate myself, but it just seems like everybody's so biased, right? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit their narrative, well, then it's, it's fake news on both sides. And yeah. so as an individual trying to figure out my, my belief system as it relates to politics and, and who's really in it to help the people, right? Which is what politics should be all about. It's been difficult for me to identify where to get information from and how to identify not my moral compass, because I know very well where I stand, but who aligns with me and my belief system the most. So that's a very long-winded way of asking you, if today, if, if when you were getting into, into politics years and years ago was as it is today, would you still have pursued the career? And how would you... Or how do you navigate the space that we're currently in? That's a really good question. I think I probably still would have entered the field. Um, certainly, uh, my approach and tactics might have been a little different. I, I'm old enough to remember when the only time an elected official could get their message out in, in um, the public sphere is to actually walk down uh, to the um, Capitol press corps, if you were in the Capitol, um, and talk to someone face-to-face. Um, and these days it's just so different. There's not a lot of personal interaction. Um, I have seen, um, a lot of, um, folks in the media not necessarily dig very deep, um, when they're trying to report on the stories. Um, so it's just a completely different dynamic. I think I still would have gone into the field though, because there's still potential, even as polarized as as things are, um, today, there's still potential to help people. Um, and to um, build stronger communities. And I think that's what it's all about. Yes, I agree. Well, uh, our mutual friend, Jen Nusbeck, who um, is absolutely amazing. She has the kindest and most thoughtful heart of any individual I've met. She is a huge advocate of Kansas City. She's she embodies servant leadership. She truly does. Yes, exactly. And, and that's exactly what I want to talk to you about because she's one of those individuals, like you said, that that you just gravitate towards, that you want to be around, that lifts you up. And, and uh, she had mentioned, first of all, she, she screamed your name from the rooftops, right? And she believes that you are one of the strongest leaders ever, but not just one of the strongest leaders. You are such a vocal advocate of, of uh, women in leadership and supporting each other. And she told me a quote that you had said recently, something to the extent of there's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women. And I'm paraphrasing, so hopefully I got that somewhat accurate. But how did you tell, talk to us a little bit about some of, the, some of the experiences in your career that really shed a light on the need for a strong individual like yourself that could help support other women in leadership? Right. That is a Madeline Albright quote. Oh, I love that woman. I have such a girl crush on her. Love her. <laughs> Crushes. I want to know, you referenced that's my first old man crush, insinuating that there's many old man crushes. Yes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> my friends know this about me. Yeah. My husband's 20 years older than me, so he appreciates that too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's really important for women um, to support um, other wom- women, because 
we have to build a community to make sure that we understand the things that um, each other are going through so that we can support each other and um, help um, uh, bridge any experience gaps that people may have, um, skills gaps, that sort of thing. Um, When I was first beginning my career in politics, I didn't even know, true story, I had no idea that women had different sorts of business suits. When, when I got my first um, job interview, one of my professors, um, thank God, asked me where I was going to go um, shopping to get um, the, uh, my, my suit for my job interview. And I told her I was going to go to Men's Warehouse <laughs> and have my grandma basically tailor a men's suit because I had never seen a woman wear a business suit before. Wow. In, in my family and in my, my background, that just wasn't something that I saw very often. Um, so that woman really helped me, number one, um, not embarrass myself, but that's just one example of like an experience gap or a skills gap that, um, if not for another strong woman leader, um, I would have walked into that situation, um, and, and very plainly embarrassed myself. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you end up getting your suit? What ended up happening with that? Okay. So my professor, um, <laughs> at Meredith College, God bless this woman, she took me to Belk, which is kind of like a Dillard's. Um, I don't even know if they still have those stores anymore. It was a, um, a popular chain in, in, the, uh, in the Southeast. Wow. I would have never guessed. I mean, again, ignorance, right? Would have, I wouldn't know where to go. And, find, and to your point too, like that was probably a different time in, in that, you know, you're really starting up and trying to figure it out. You're ignorant too, because you're younger and trying to, trying to identify your identity and all that stuff. Um, man, it's just, it's so amazing that unless a forum uh, or environment is created like this to learn more about the perspective of others, the UN fund, um, and, and learn more about the trials and tribulations that allowed them to get to the place they are or, or develop into the person that they've become, you quite honestly could walk through life missing out on a lot of uh, growth opportunities for yourself. Right. And so go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we as humans, we don't know what we don't know until it hits us in the face, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I absolutely agree with you there. So speaking of not knowing what we don't know until it hits us in the face, uh, you are an astute uh, studier of leadership and of self-development. What are some of the, uh, the, the lessons that you've learned that have really resonated throughout the years for you specifically to leadership? These could be things that, that you help and instill and folks that, that you coach or consult or ones that specifically just resonated with you. Resiliency is at the top of that list. Um, there have been so many times um, that if I or the team around me um, or whatever elected official I was working for at the time didn't have strong resiliency, we would have all just fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not in politics either. That's just a good skill to have no matter who you are or what you're doing. Because as we mentioned earlier, Life isn't always pretty. Um, Sometimes we fall down, but we always have to get back up and keep trying. For sure. Um, So I think resiliency is key. Um, Another um, important um, leadership trait, uh, I think, is work ethic. Um, This is something that um, I think sometimes gets ignored. Um, Work ethic can really set you apart, um, particularly... um, 
in uh, a time like this where we have lots of digital mediums. Um, I think success can sometimes look like it comes quickly. Um, But for a lot of people, uh, we have to spend years uh, getting to the place that we are. So I'd say uh, resiliency and work ethic are at the top of my list. I I love those two points. And specifically, what folks see uh, in individuals like yourself or Jen Nusbeck or Mayor Sly James or or the individual that had a $400 haircut, we see the end game. We see the, the, the ultimate uh, spotlight. But what we don't see is everything that it took to get there. And so we could easily say, well, I could be there too if indeed I lived a privileged life, or I could be there too if indeed I was given you know, an opportunity or whatever it may be. When in reality, the truth of the matter is, we worked our butts off for those opportunities. There's some that didn't. But I know you, uh, specifically a little bit of your backdrop, and I know that you worked your freaking tail off to get where you are. And so I admire as, as far as you've come and know that there's still a very long runway um, based on the release of this book and what you're doing now, which we're going to get to. I admire your resiliency through this. It probably didn't come without challenge, as you mentioned before. So to whatever level you're you're willing or comfortable in sharing, I believe vulnerable vulnerability is an amazing leadership trait. It's one of my favorites. I know that people can learn from the challenges that we face if if we uh, if we communicate them in a manner in which there is a life lesson. So, can you talk to us a little bit about times in your career where you had to express resiliency? You were faced with uh, an extreme challenge or something that seemed. Uh, a significant roadblock and maybe even something that you couldn't overcome, but you did. Sure thing. Um, I really, uh, when I first went to graduate school, I was convinced that um, I wanted to get uh, my PhD in political science and um, teach eventually. Um, I, I kind of figured out along the way that I wanted to have um, a more practical influence on public policy, but I had no political connections. Um, I I write my book that um, oftentimes when I've gone uh, into uh, political offices, um, there's a lot of talk about how people got there. And um, several times in my career, I've worked with people who admit um, that they got their jobs because they had family members that contributed to an elected official, that sort of thing. And I write my book about how I have never had a family member that even could contribute to an elected official. And I think I have a few family members who probably can't vote because of their criminal record. (laughs) So when I decided that I wanted to go uh, into politics, I really had no idea how to even get started. Um, I just didn't have that network available to me um, of people who could open doors. So again, resiliency. I just had to work my butt off um, and um, make sure that I took every opportunity that I had to network, um, to really exhibit my work ethic so that when people saw that, um, they knew that um, I was worth giving um, a shot. For sure. Well, I believe wholeheartedly in energy. Um, I believe that the energy you put out in this world will be uh, thrown back at you tenfold. And you had mentioned earlier about the importance of relationships and surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, Sometimes the universe places these individuals in our life. Sometimes you create the opportunity for these individuals to be placed in your life. 
Who are some significant leaders or individuals in your life that really impacted the trajectory of your career and got you to the place that you could proudly say that you are today? Um, I think the two leaders that most impacted my career, um, one would be uh, former Secretary of State Robin Carnahan. Um, I worked uh, for her at the state capitol. She was the first um, high-profile woman leader that I I worked closely with. Um, And I really learned how um, to navigate um, leadership, um, gender bias, those sorts of things from watching her do it firsthand. Mm. Um, And then obviously former mayor Cy James, um, he is um, my ultimate sponsor um, and one of my dearest friends for sure. Uh, We worked together um, in the mayor's office um, until August and um, he really showed me how to lead with authenticity, um, which I think is really important. There's so many leaders um, who aren't very authentic, and I think that eventually um, that's eventually exposed. But he really showed me how, when you're comfortable with your own skin, confident in the decisions that you're making, and when you um, have a strong moral compass, um, that's really the requirements that you need for leadership. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be loved all the time, but that's okay. Um, And so I really learned that from him. For sure. Well, what I love about what you're saying is specifically related to authentic leadership. I hear regularly, um, whenever talking about folks in the business setting versus the home setting, they'll always say, oh, well, that's that's the work me or that's the home me. And I, I often ask them, well, why does it have to be so different? Now, you and I both know that it's a thin line between cupcake and bitch. So ultimately, we have to uh, we have to figure out how to how to really showcase our authentic style in all settings. That means that we could be respectful of others while still being our one hundred percent true self. But that's something that that I personally in my corporate career always struggled with because I've always been this energetic, uh, enthusiastic person and. Uh, believe it or not, it wasn't always warmly received in every setting. But if I really truly um, get introspective and reflect back on some of those situations, yes, there were some times where it wasn't warmly received because people weren't ready or um, it just wasn't, just the environment wasn't suited for it. Um, But if I really got uh, introspective, I would say that maybe just maybe uh, I came in at a 10 instead of coming in at a two and bringing up people to attend, if that makes any sense. I think I've been guilty of that a time or two. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know one speed, Joni, and let's go. (laughs) (laughs) It's that work ethic in me. What can I say? Um, My husband and I sometimes laugh because he says, I know two speeds, 100% and asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like even when I'm sleeping, I'm that dog that's constantly, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Mayor Sly James is uh, an amazing gentleman. He is my brother in bow tie arms. Uh, The gentleman's style and uh, pizzazz um, and the way that he really leads with authenticity is something that I admire a great deal. And when I had mentioned earlier that maybe we we cross paths, I don't know. When Mayor Sly James was uh, going to events uh, in his role, did you find yourself attending most, if not all of those events? Quite a few, quite a few. Yeah, it depends on like what else was going on at the moment and where the events were. Sure. Well, there was an event years ago. It was like a walk the runway style event. Um, and it was, a, it was a fundraiser. 
And somebody had called my buddy, John Stoner, and I to walk the runway. And uh, sitting front row when we walked out on stage, and this is, I mean, Mayor Sly James has always been kind of an idol, I mean, since he's been in public office. And uh, I walk out and I see this gentleman and we have the bow tie in common and I am, I am so enamored with his style that I immediately want to stop what I'm doing and go introduce myself and say, see, uh, we're not that different, right? But in that moment, I realized that I wasn't wearing a bow tie. I was wearing a wrestling singlet with a cat profile pick on it. And I realized that now probably wasn't the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about what you and Mayor Sly James or former mayor are doing now, because it seems like you've partnered up and are, are really bringing uh, strong leadership to the forefront and changing individuals' lives. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, so when we were term limited in August, we launched our consulting firm called Wickham James Strategies and Solutions. I'm the Wickham, he's the James, just just in case there was any confusion. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we focus our um, services on um, strategic communications, public policy work, government uh, relations, um, some political consulting, and until uh, COVID-19 happened, we were doing mm. some public speaking engagements. Um, he's a very accomplished mediator, so he's um, doing a ton of those these days. Um, and then we have our books as well. For sure. Lots, lots of irons in the fire. Yes. Uh, and, and I saw all of them on your website, which is beautiful, by the way. Thank um, you. you. mentioned public speaking, and I got the opportunity to see a few of your videos Writing a speech and delivering a speech, two completely different things. When was the first time you actually gave a speech? And uh, how comfortable are you now in delivering uh, keynotes or, or communicating to folks to the, in the masses? Um, it, it probably depends on how you define speech, because I would have to give um, public testimony um, at, at lots of different um, public hearings um, at the state capitol in Congress, that sort of thing. Sure. Um, really, it's been a recent thing for me to do um, my speeches about women's leadership campaigns, um, that sort of thing. I've really only done those for about a year, year and a half. Those started to to kind of come to the forefront towards the end of our time in office. Um, you might uh, be able to tell I'm a little bit of an extrovert. <laughs> So I really don't, I I don't get nervous with um, public speaking. Um, I really don't. Um, I get nervous um, whenever I have to do anything with numbers. Yes. Um, So when I, I, math is just not my strong suit. You don't like this. I know, I know. I can talk to somebody all day long. I'm I'm cool with that. But you like have me balancing a checkbook and I'm like uh, in tears almost. how, How are you in like structure and details? Do you thrive in there? Oh yeah, I'm very structured in details. I'm I'm just a little bit anal retentive. <laughs> gotcha, I gotcha. Well, so you, obviously, you know, speaking is a fear of a lot of individuals in right. life, and so it makes sense that as an extrovert, you don't get as as scared as the masses. In uh, in addition, one surefire way to kind of ease that fear or feel more comfortable is to be prepared. And thriving in structure uh, and uh, detail, you probably, I'm guessing, uh, really had a structured outline of what that first speech is or was, and then ultimately has led you down this path of success thus far in the in the public speaking sector. Would would you agree? 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I really set you up for success in that question. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <Softball. laughs> well, so uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your process in writing a book. Because people talk to me about this all the time. And I always say that writing the book was the easiest thing I ever did. Starting the process, sitting down, putting my thoughts on paper, easiest thing I've ever done. Hardest thing I've ever done, finishing the book. Because what started as fun and and me sharing experiences and, and, and what got me to this place or wherever I am today ultimately became more of a job and became a to-do, which I don't really enjoy as much because I really gravitate towards the things that give me strength. And so it became a very tedious task that I didn't look forward to doing anymore when I had to force myself to sit down and write. Uh, Thankfully, I got it done and it's been the catalyst to, to many speeches. But talk to us a little bit about your writing process. What was that like for you? Sure. So, um, as I said earlier, this is a book that I have wanted to write for a long time. I never had the space to do it. Um, particularly when I was chief of staff for almost six years, that is a 24 seven job. Um, and, um, I've got a a seven year old, um, little girl. So I just have had a lot of irons in the fire for the past few years. And, um, Sly is the one who told me back in September, um, basically he said, what the hell are you waiting for? Just write it. You know, you want to write it. And, um, so he's, he's the one that pushed me finally to do it. Um, the actual writing of the book was not that difficult. Um, I started writing it at the end of September, beginning of October, I think. Um, and I would wake up early, like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, um, to, to write the book. Um, it, it seemed to me that it was really difficult for me to write it, uh, during the day because I'd get interrupted 50,000 times. Uh, so I'd get up early in the morning and write for like two, sometimes three hours before, um, the dogs and my husband and my kid woke up and before my phone started ringing. Um, so that part wasn't really difficult. I'll tell you the part that I'm finding more difficult is what I'm dealing with right now, which is trying to figure out how to promote the book. Yes. I hate talking about myself. Mm. I hate it. I would I I could talk about leadership, women's empowerment all day long. I don't like talking about myself. Right. Um, which is probably some imposter syndrome showing up <laughs> there, you know? Um, or the fact that I write about this in my book. Um, little girls are conditioned to not want to talk about themselves, to not um uh be leaders, um, that sort of thing. So I kind of wonder if some of the way we're conditioned um, as women and, and starting out as little girls um, plays into that too. I know a lot of women who hate to talk about themselves. I know a lot of dudes who talk about themselves at nauseum. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> well, I can certainly relate to what you're talking about because um, I, I first started, so I've always been this guy, this extrovert, as you were self-described and uh, over the top. And people would always ask me how I got that way. And so I, I kind of fell into this concept of fundamentalism that was completely made up. And I didn't know what it was, Joni. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know if I was a consultant firm. I, I, didn't, I had no idea what the end game was. I just knew that whatever I was doing was deliberate and it brought me happiness. And if I could find a way to, to get others to recreate it, then maybe just maybe it would bring them more joy and happiness. So got a website, 
spent way more money than I needed to be that I didn't have. And I started marketing this fundamentalism concept. And I would tell people, I don't care if anybody ever remembers my name. Like, I just want people to know that there's something out there that could help you if you're struggling. And I noticed that nothing happened, Joni. Like, it didn't go anywhere. And people would hear the concept and they would say, but what does it look like? What does it mean? And I, like you, uh, only from, from a different space, from a different perspective, I feel really grimy talking about myself. Yeah, I, I know like exactly it. what you mean. Yeah, It's disgusting. Like, and as a speaker, I have to market myself. Like, I, I am what people are buying in this concept, right? And so as such, on social media, I have to post photos of myself in front of a group of people or a video of myself speaking. And I just, it's yucky. Like, I want to be present with the individual that I'm talking to. My point in saying all of this is that when I realized that the only way to get fundamentalism to the masses was for people to see it modeled and to see what it looked like and to remove myself from the equation and realize that people needed to see it. They needed to see it and experience it. And then ultimately it might help them. That's when my speaking career started to, the trajectory started to go up. And so my challenge to you and who the hell am I to, to present you a challenge you're not promoting Joni Wickham. You're promoting women's empowerment. You're giving ladies uh, an opportunity to understand the value that they offer in this world and that they're just as good, if not better, than those damn men that are holding leadership positions right now that are almost burning the country down. So uh, you. <laughs> you're very welcome. Uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, I know that you have a lot to offer and I can't wait to see what the next steps look like. I want to kind of wrap up with some fun. So I know that you, um, you, you did some studying abroad in Russia, Mother Russia. So yeah. uh, uh, first of all, if you think back about uh, your, your life or career, knowing that you've worked with, you know, the, John Edwards and Mayor Sly James and, and, and Washington and all these, and North Carolina and all these, these folks and individuals and circumstances that are probably, you've experienced more in the last, I would say eight years than most people will in a lifetime. What's the most crazy or memorable experience that you could remember through all of it? Oh man. See the first, the first one that comes to your mind. Positive, negative, or either. Whatever, wherever you go, sister. Hmm. I think the most surreal moment that I've had um, would actually be the hybrid of, of two moments. Um, there was this one day, it was probably in 2017. Um, I was visiting my grandparents in rural North Carolina. Um, they live in a trailer. And so we were packing up my stuff. Um, they were going to take me to the airport and I was scheduled to fly to DC to meet Sly at U.S. Conference of Mayors. So here I am in this uh, uh, backyard of this trailer surrounded by this field. And this potbelly pig is like running around, starts jumping on us. They, this is not a pet. We have no idea where this thing came from. So I'm in my, my business suit because I have to like get off the airplane in D.C., throw my stuff down at the hotel and then go to the White House to meet Sly for a reception. Men's so, warehouse. Got it. <laughs> I did not go from Men's warehouse. <laughs> So uh, we uh, get all my stuff in the car. My, my grandparents drop me off. Um, 
at uh, Raleigh Durham International Airport, hugs and kisses, see you later, get off the airplane in DC, dump my stuff at the hotel, go to the White House. We have a, a, a great time at this reception. President Obama's there. Everything's great. Wonderful evening. This juxtaposition of that morning being, you know, in my grandparents' house in the middle of nowhere, having spent the night in a trailer, and then, you know, by evening being at the White House. I get back to my hotel room that evening after this reception at the White House. That damn, can I say damn? That yeah. damn, that damn pig had left mud all over the back <laughs> of my pants. And I wore it to the White House like that. <laughs> <laughs> So that was pretty surreal. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Obama. I was really nervous to meet you. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. What an yeah. amazing story. Well, I want to wrap up with uh, just some fun little rapid-fire questions. They have nothing to do with women's empowerment. They have nothing to do with the thin line between cupcakes and bitch. Um, ultimately, it's just showcasing all the fun that you are. So five quick questions. First things that come to your mind, okay? All right. When's the last time you had a gut-busting laughter and what created it? Probably yesterday. And I laughed because my dog was passing gas so bad it almost made us want to throw up. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like our household. Uh, fate of the world depends on you and your pipes. You have to sing a karaoke song. What is it? Oh. Um... Um, Vogue. Oh, yes. Uh, that is actually a personal favorite of Miss Jen Nuspik. So I didn't even know that. Yeah, for sure. Matter of fact, there's an open challenge to Jen and her other friend, Jen Spada, uh, to sing Vogue karaoke style on Twitter. So maybe you could help me, uh, push a little bit there. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Uno, you mentioned Go Fish, favorite board game of all time. Operation. Oh, that's good. Are you solid at it? Or are you good? Um, my daughter just got that for her birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I think I've played it more than she has. Nice. We got that too. And of course, it's out of batteries. Uh, and there's one thing in this world that you'll never have enough of, which is batteries. Yes. Uh, and vodka. And vodka. Speaking <laughs> of which, uh, I've been making a tremendous quarantine drink. Too much sugar, of course, but that's kind of that's my lifestyle. Sprite, vodka, and a splash of grenadine. It's just, it's just a cherry Sprite with vodka in it. And it is delicious. That's refreshing. It is refreshing. Thank you very much. Uh, depending on what, if the Sprite or 7-Up is on sale is, is where I go. So fourth question, Coke or Pepsi? Pepsi. Oh, are you, uh, are you all the sugar or are you a diet gal? All the sugar. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. Top three favorite movies of all time for the win. This is your final question, then you're off the hook. Okay. Dirty Dancing. Okay. Grease. Yes. Beetlejuice. Wow. You know what? The first thing that comes to mind in all three of those are there are tremendous dance numbers in all of them. Yeah, yeah. And I cannot, of course, think of Beetlejuice without the epic dinner uh, scene where their uh, daylight come and me want to go home, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the perfect segue to our close because I'm sure daylight come and you want to go back home, which is outside your office door and upstairs with your beautiful family. So that said, somebody wants to learn more about Joni Wickham, where do we go? 
you would, I, I would love for you all to go to www.wickhamjames.com. Awesome. And uh, any social media accounts that you'd like us to follow? I know that we got a big book drop and when's the release date? Probably mid-August. COVID-19 threw some kinks in our production plans, but probably mid-August. Yeah. But we'll have updates um, on our website and our social media channels are there as well. Beautiful. Is it a self-published or did you find a publisher? Ascend Books is my publisher. Good for you. Well, I admire you a great deal. I know that we only uh, we only touched the surface of all the amazing experiences that you've had, not just in politics and your career, but in life in general. It means a lot to me. This is literally the first time that we've ever even talked. You didn't know me from Adam, and you had confidence and trusted in me enough to uh, hopefully wear the white gloves and treat you with respect. You earned it. I greatly appreciate you and all that you do for Kansas City. Any uh, last words of wisdom coming from a local KC legend when all is said and done? I feel way too young to be amazed <laughs> to be a legend. Um, I just really appreciate you and everything you do to generate positive energy, um, particularly these, these days. We could always I'll, I'll use a little bit more of that. So thank you. Thank you. Well, as always, we'd like to thank our guest, Joni Wickham. We'd like to thank you, the Fundamism Podcast listener, because without you, we couldn't be whatever the heck we are. As Joni mentioned, we're all about shedding positive light into the world that needs it now more than ever. So go out, have some fun today. And you know what? Create some fun in the life of somebody else. It could be the only thing that they have or need to make it through a difficult time. From the bottom of my heart, I'd like to say thank you. Until next time, deuces. Deuces.